This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. All right. Ryan's back, you guys. Oh, my God. Thank God for (laughs) Ryan's return from Argentina. I know you all missed me so much. I did. I missed you. (gasps) I missed you, too. Aww. (laughs) Um, Did you eat guinea pigs? I didn't. Uh... I feel like that's Brazil, but who knows? Okay. I was in Mendoza. Hmm. Um, I went to several vineyards. It was a really cool Prevailing wedding. theory, all of them are Chateau Picard. All of them are Chateau Picard. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe secretly Picard just owns all of the wine production on planet Earth. It could explain how he's affording this intergalactic jaunt that he's on right now. Oh, yeah. No, I 100% believe that he is paying Captain Rios in bottles of wine. Yeah. Cases of wine. Bottles, cases, barrels. barrels ke- <laughs> kegs? Are there kegs of wine? I mean, they could. there could be. So I met someone at this wedding who was, like, disappointed that Picard didn't have human hands picking his grapes <laughs> at Chateau Picard and that there were machines in the background scene doing the work. And uh, I was glad that he pointed this out because I'm like, oh, no, that actually fits like our sort of gay space socialism vision of the 24th century that we've been talking about how intact it is in Picard. Um, But what we know is that it's predicated on technology, freeing people up from shitty jobs and manual labor so they can pursue any kind of career they want and focus on bettering themselves. Yeah, self-actualization. Right. So if we don't see itinerant workers or like college kids trying to make money while they're on in their gap year, um, like tying off grapevines, uh, <laughs> this, this supports the idea that people ha- are in some version of gay space socialism in the Picard universe, even if we're, we've been exposed to a lot of other parts of the galaxy that are using money and are in like a shittier circumstance than what we saw during the TNG era. Yeah, it's like current panic about, oh, no, robots, are, robots are going to take the jobs. <laughs> uh, but it's only a problem if you can't find other jobs for people. But in, right. in our Starfleet or Federation you, Utopia universe, they get they just have different, better jobs. Right. Yeah. Or if you don't have a social safety net or if you don't have a universal basic income. Mm. Um, oh, my God. Now I really want to talk about the expanse. We what's should, the expanse? What, you don't know? Okay. Okay. So the expanse is a sci-fi show that is set in like the near kind of nearer future um it has one of the best female characters that i have encountered basically uh there's there's a ubi and oh yeah some people are undocumented and the undocumenteds don't get the ubi and it's a problem huh oh that sounds really interesting yeah also um (laughs) your dad uh john wrote a funny comment on Instagram, he said that he appreciated our reviews because now he doesn't have to pay for 
That's right. Uh, CBS All Access. And I'm just like, are we in a universe where your parents are donating to us but not giving money to CBS? That is def- that is the universe that we're in. Yeah. What? I mean, but also... You guys, I think you could afford CBS All Access. They... I mean... Can you explain to them how to bit torrent? <laughs> I think it's more of a, like, uh, on principle kind of situation rather than anything else. Thank you for that comment, Dad. If you're listening to this and you are not watching Star Trek Picard, our recaps are uh, not entirely complete. And you will miss, among other things, the brilliant costuming that's happening. Yeah. I thought there was some really great camera work in this episode. I think this is one of the episodes that was directed by Jonathan Frakes. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first three episodes were directed by... Hanel Culpepper. She's an awesome lady who's been working on this show and killing it. Person of color, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think the directors have been doing a great job with the cinematography, and I've enjoyed it. So. So. (laughs) With that. Let's get into it. Yeah. So so this is our, like, non-holodeck holodeck episode. Mm-hmm. In... Insofar as it features our regular cast in great costumes. Oh my god, the costumes are so great. Uh, so they're uh, they're on their way to Space Vegas, which I've been building yes. up for two episodes. Yes, and now they've reached Free Cloud. It doesn't disappoint, even though we literally only go inside of one bar. There's also an establishing shot that has uh, an image of quarks. Mm. in neon lights so that alone made me happy yeah and corks is referenced as one of captain rios's uh or like his cast his what is it uh facer his facer backstory involves a review from quark saying like you did good helping me with the breen (laughs) um but rios's costume is the is only potentially overshadowed by bejazels. Oh. Uh, but his green zoot suit with the green fur coat that he only wears over one arm and his orange hat is just his like giant I orange like died. it looks like a pimp hat from like I the died. costume warehouse or yes. something. <laughs> I took a hat making class recently <laughs> and I made a gray felt fedora with kind of an asymmetrical pinch oh and a God. wide brim and it is eerily similar to this hat which oh I have God. not seen before I went to this hat making class and I'm like <gasps> What? what is this like weird brainwave that I have aligned myself with like Christine, the costume producer, costume designer? What's, yeah. her, what's her name again? Girl, I don't remember. It's Christine, though. OK, cool. Yeah, Christine, we like we love you. And uh, your your choice of hat is both brilliant and also very flamboyant. Um, But yeah, I think. Uh, bejazel 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 is the only thing that i could hear over and over again if you're like somehow slightly too young to remember the trend of women ripping out all of their pubic hair and then replacing it with crystals that were stuck onto their pubis mons like uh that's a thing that happened for a while in the 90s did you know anyone who did it no i thought it was the early 2000s i don't know oh maybe it's the early 2000s it was in the i felt like it was like a thing that britney spears did britney spears definitely did <laughs> i think britney spears also wore a version of part of a jazzle's outfit at mm-hmm. the mtv music awards one year <laughs> Yes, uh, I think it was it was like a like a sheer crystal 
bodysuit covering her whole body and otherwise she looked naked and uh it's basically this costume without the giant see-through shoulder pad things mm-hmm. it was pretty incredible um also this actress looks remarkably like marina sirtis who played deanna troy they do they do share a resemblance for sure i was like whoa this is interesting casting um but i also i looked her up and her name is uh nekar zadegan or zadegan i don't know she's um she's of iranian descent but she was born in germany Oh, and cool. raised in San Francisco. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she's pretty awesome, as I think as a human being. Yeah. Uh, but Jaisal, the character, is uh, a terrible murderer. Yeah, she's a she's a terrible person. Um, she's very seductive and cool and sort of like falls into that trope of like villains who you want to be, mm-hmm. but also hate. Mm-hmm. Um I enjoyed her performance. The first thing we see her do is rip out Icheb's eyeball in a very brutal scene. He was Seven of Nine's protege slash son. Like he was one of the Borg children who was rescued in the Delta Quadrant and joined the Voyager crew. And Mm -hmm. um, he always wanted to be in Starfleet. And the show confirms that he ended up in Starfleet. Yeah, he's uh, shown wearing a uniform at the time. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So in this opening scene, we see a very gruesome, like, medical horror show where bodies are being dismembered for parts. And his eyeball is, like, ripped out. And he's screaming, and um, then Seven, like, shoots her way in and is like, my son, Icheb, how could I have let this happen to you? Um, And he's just, like, groaning and moaning in pain. He can't really get any words out. Um, And then she shoots him because, I I, mean... He begs her for death. Yeah, he begs her for death. And I guess that he was... He must have been just like had too many of his vital parts removed for it to be recoverable. Yeah. Despite the fact that a lot of people have had seemingly worse injuries and have survived. Yeah. Um, yeah. I loved Seven's performance. Jerry oh Ryan is such a good actress. She's so great. She was like, she was heartfelt. She was subtle. She was just like simmering with anger. It was really good to see her and have her in this show. And um, I'm o- I'm only a little bit concerned that she's not going to come back for the rest of the season. I think she's going to come back. I, I That's my prediction. I, I think it's like when number one showed up in Discovery and then she was just gone and you're like, oh, but she was fun. And then she comes back in like the last two or three episodes to help out or... When Han Solo is like, fuck you, I got my reward. And then he like swoops in to help blow up the Death Star. Like, yeah, uh, I think she's coming back. She's going to pull a Han Solo. Uh I'm like, I'm into that. Yeah. Um, So that was that was 13 years ago when each had his eyeball removed and then was mercy killed. And so this like establishes where Seven has been and why when she shows up in like present time, she's so just so angry and cynical. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we get there, we jump forward to two weeks in the past, if that Mm. makes any sense. Yes. Um, And 
we go to the bar where Bejazel conducts her black market dealings. Um, and she gets a report that Maddox is asking for asylum or something. Yeah, and so uh, we see Bruce Maddox. He's played by a different actor. I still personally hate him for trying to take data apart in TNG and not thinking that uh, robots were sentient, even as he was trying to build a sentient robot. But <laughs> his portrayal is much more sympathetic Yeah, in this episode. But I couldn't get over hating him. So I kept hoping that people would kill him, um, even though I think... <laughs> We're supposed to not hope that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess that he's supposed to have formed some kind of friendship with Data over the years. And uh, th- yeah, after so like, the events of Measure of a Man, which is one of the one of the standout TNG episodes of uh, the first couple seasons, just <sighs> when we originally meet him, he's such an asshole he's yeah. just like he's like standing in front of data having a conversation with this person over and over again and continuing to like use the pronoun it continuing to not like grant data the possibility of his own existence yeah. and like completely heartlessly wants to just like disassemble him he seemed to me to be completely driven by ambition uh-huh. like he wants to be the next roboticist to create a sentient android he can't figure out how to get there on his own he doesn't think it's possible without data which continues to seem to be true in the star trek universe yeah and is like to him it's like worth sacrificing data in order to make more of them if he can't put him back together Mm -hmm. um and data is just like i don't trust you i don't trust your skill level uh, I was never quite sure if he really didn't think that Data was a person or if that was just a convenient argument. And he was heartless enough to think he was a person, but willing to risk his death in order to make more of him. Mm, Either way, he was a shithead. Yeah, yeah. Either way, he sucks. And and yet now we meet him however many, like, 25 years later. And um, he references working with Dr. Soong. He's like... A, you were saying that you read a novel in which oh. he and Data, like, exchanged, like, he, they were pen pals. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they were definitely pen pals. So I read I read this book. It's like a, a trade paperback, uh, like, licensed Star Trek book called Cold Equations Part One. <laughs> and it's mostly, mostly from the perspective of Dr. Soong. Yeah, I mean, you would like it. Anyone who's nerdy enough to listen to this would probably like it. I don't remember <laughs> if it's good literature or not. But uh, there are several things about it that I feel like are relevant. But one of the first things that happens in the book is that uh, Bruce Maddox's lab is destroyed and robbed, which huh. happened in the show. Yeah. Right? Like, that's one of the things that he tells Vajazzle in this scene. Vajazzle. Yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's her name. That's her name. Like, come on. Um then so Starfleet is like trying to help Bruce Maddox figure out who did this like track them down like recover B4 among other things and then the rest of the novel is from the perspective of Dr. Soong who had uploaded his conscious into an android that he designed to look just like himself right before he died Mm. so we see him die in uh, the TNG episode Brothers Um, But apparently off screen, he had uploaded his consciousness into an android and was now obsessed with um, trying to resurrect data after Mm -hmm. he learned of his death. So this is like post um, 
whatever that movie was. Nemesis. Nemesis. Yeah. So this sort of like leads me into talking about another episode I wanted to talk about, which was Inheritance, where mm-hmm. we meet Dr. Soong's ex-wife, Juliana, who is actually also an android. Yep. She had died, and he had uploaded her consciousness into an android body. This android is really special because she has, uh, like, human skin and veins and tears. And so on the outside, she's, like, biological. Mm-hmm. And then on the inside, she's an android. And she's also giving out false medical readings to anyone who scans her so like soji and dodge she passes as human and like soji and dodge she does not know that she's an android yep she's unaware she believes to herself to be just the same juliana who was alive and born as a human like what what i think is interesting is that this emphasis on like being able to cry for example Mm. it feels like a detail that would only have come to a writer's mind because she's a fe- she's a woman. Yeah. Um and I think that there's a lot of there there's just like a lot of different ways She cries that- a lot in the episode. <laughs> I did not rewatch this episode recently, so I'm like only vague recollections of yeah. it. Uh yeah, but it's but it's like, you know, kind of once again this emphasis that women are emotional mm-hmm. or like have the capability of being emotionally expressive. Um, whereas that was never something that was important for data. Yeah. Um, but what else did you want to say about Juliana? Ooh, the other thing I wanted to say that's interesting that we learned from that episode is, um, data tells her about his daughter, Lol, who at this point he has created and she's died. He shows her a painting of her. So we get the setup for the paintings that are in Picard And she tells him that uh, there were several prototypes before him and his brother and that they all failed and that it was very difficult for her. Mm. Um, Because she loved all of them like a mother. Because she loved all of them. So she expresses concern that like if you try again, it might not work. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, I probably will. And the other thing that we learn is that he had a childhood in which – he had to like learn how to pick things up, like work on motor coordination, like learn to put on clothes and be modest, and that they then like erased his memory of this childhood, but basically that they had to train him mm-hmm. um, in a similar way that we see him train Lol. And uh, probably what's going on in this nest of like the other Sojis and Dajas somewhere, they have to be like, they don't, they don't come out fully formed. Like right. Androids, like people kind of have to have a childhood. Yeah. Which is like, which is really interesting that they then choose to er- erase the yeah. like memory of that. I know. It's weird. It's very like, I mean, I think it was just, you know, writer, like, how could they explain this detail? Oh, right. It's like, how do they retcon in this, like, whole storyline? Yeah, this woman who, (laughs) who, like, Data didn't remember at all, being like, I actually spent, like, a few months with you. Uh, Okay, yes. Yes, okay, so it's a narratively convenient thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And then also, like, well, it makes more sense for, for Dodge and Soji to have any, like, any memory of their early existence erased and then replaced with 
a whole like history of I don't know however old they are 22 right uh, like 22 years of existence as like normal human people absolutely uh, when in fact they're probably about three and their mom is a bot it's confirmed in this episode that their mom yes. is an in, is like an ingrained AI or something I'm yeah. just like yes <laughs> I like when our theories are confirmed yes <laughs> Um, so, okay, so the other reason I'm talking about any of this at all is because, like, toward the end of this episode, Bruce Maddox uh, mentions, like, Dr. Soong's contributions in creating Soji and Dodge. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, is this, like, metaphorical or did you actually see him? Mm -hmm. Because there's, Mm -hmm. like, a version of the Star Trek universe out there, like, non-canon, where he's alive as an android. Right. So maybe he'll come back. Perhaps, and it would it would more easily explain uh, the aging of Brent Spiner. Yes, because <laughs> one of the aspects of Juliana is that she was like programmed to age. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So okay. So Vajazel poisons Bruce. Right. And is like, I'm gonna sell his ass to the Tal Shiar. Yes. Because he very trustingly like reveals to her that he can't pay her back. Like. How, who who is this person who comes to what is very obviously like a crime lord and says, "Hey, I'm sorry, I just can't pay you back," and then expects is... to not immediately die? Yeah, I mean, I think this is an interesting. It's such a a female way to write a villain that mm. she is portrayed to us as vicious, but manages to manipulate and ingratiate herself to her victims so that people trust her. Like she gave him a loan, but she's not a loan shark. People come to her for help. Like mm-hmm. um, she used Seven to find other Borg, but like Seven fell in love with her. Mm. So it's like she is powerful but also people trust her when they shouldn't and it feels very it's an interesting way to write a villain i don't feel like they write male villains this way i think you're right i think you're absolutely right it does it it like kind of relies on her default trustworthiness Mm -hmm. which is often a female characteristic yeah no i I totally agree Mm -hmm. yeah right like no one's gonna trust mr vup (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Fup. What a funny, like, new alien species to encounter who can smell lies. <laughs> yeah, I love all these, I love all these, like, weird superpowers aliens have in the new Trek. Right. Like, in um, Discovery, where, uh, what's his face can, like, oh, sense. Saru can, like, sense when there's can, like, danger. Sense danger. Yes. Sense death. Yes. Saru is so great. I am really excited for Discovery to come back so that we can get him back. Do yourself a favor and on Facebook, look up like self-care Saru. It's like a fun meme. It's just like Saru giving self-care. Aww. We should post that on our social. Yeah. Yeah. So then we go to Seven and Picard in his holodeck study. Mm-hmm. And she's uh, she's ribbing him for having chosen his cushy chateau holodeck program. And he's like, it wasn't me. And she's like, well, but I think it's introducing us to the way in which she has become very jaded about yes. her own existence and just like the universe in general and how things are working. Mm-hmm. So they have this whole conversation about how she's joined the Fenris Rangers, which are apparently some kind of vigilante force that's primarily doing peacekeeping and like 
I don't know, socialist aid or something. Yeah, uh, in the um, in the former neutral zone, power vacuum that was created by mm-hmm. the Romulan Empire collapsing. Yeah, which I'm thinking now, like honestly, sounds a lot like the Maquis yeah. in the in the fact that the Maquis arose out of the like zone between Cardassian space and Federation space, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, like the Maquis are kind of seen as terrorists or guerrilla warfare. Um, and well, I mean, in that case, the government was specifically telling them to change what they were doing. Like two different governments were like, get out, get out. And, uh, mm, whereas the Fenris Rangers are just, uh, occupying a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, but similar. Uh, I mean, it's interesting, like the newer Trek gets, the more it looks at these kind of very realistic ways that people try to deal with chaos and like have self-determination um, in the face of like governments that are ignoring them, mm-hmm. right? Like the Federation's not helping these people out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the deeper that we get into this, the more I really like would like to understand where the Borg collective is. Like, are all of the are all of these ex Borgs? from that particular artifact the cube i mean maybe or, cubes are fucking massive that's true um but i mean like obviously each have and seven are outliers right um but i just want to like i want to understand what this like what this whole market situation is that like leads to people paying top dollar for borg parts that are so gruesomely harvested and like why Voyager definitely set up that people will pay top dollar for Borg technology. And Voyager also sort of set up how useful it can be. Like, yeah. It was like in the in the back four seasons, like anytime they really couldn't get out of a jam, like Seven's nanobots like magically did it for them. Yeah. But I think I think it must still be that Voyager like really did deal a terrible blow to the Borg because otherwise as we know them they would be just this like terrifying force that would prevent this kind of trade from happening because in the previous version of the universe no Borg was left behind why haven't you already answered this question show you know we get this like Rios and Rafi having a conversation about who is seven so we get to know who seven is yeah, which is like almost exclusively for new viewers. Yeah, but like new viewers would probably also want to know, like, yeah, why are what, the why, why are, are the, the Borg, Borg a threat? I feel like just the other thing I get out of this scene is appreciating Seven getting to wear real clothes. Yeah, she looks pockets. so good. And I, I just, I also just like love seeing a fifty-one-year-old woman on screen, like mm-hmm. being fucking beautiful and a badass. Yeah, it's great. I mean. I feel like er- very early seven, like with on a, almost like with her body was kind of in a posture of like apologizing for her existence. Like she mm. had like very straight, like upright posture, but the, she would, I don't know. Is, there's a difference. There's a confidence that she's exuding now that I don't think that she was when she was on Voyager. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. She's like, this is my this is my body. This is where I'm at. This is who I am. And, uh, you know, just kicking ass. I also just like love Michael Chabon uh, and, and these costume designers like not 
exploiting the female characters for like the audience gaze in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like we get Vajazzle in this sexy outfit, <laughs> but uh, it's very much she's a powerful character. It, it seems like something she's doing on purpose. And we haven't had any of our other female characters presented in this way. Mm-hmm. So it's notable. Yes, absolutely. It's certainly like a it it feels like a choice that she has made and like honestly I get it. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you're in a position of power like that and the way that you like to dress is in a, a bedazzled bodysuit and like giant shoulder pads and translucent capes like hell the fuck yes, I would live that life. Yeah. Um, so I want to skip ahead a little bit. Yeah. So we, we sort of mentioned that like Rafi and uh, Rios discuss Seven and like just give some some uh, exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little like I'm a little sad that this is the only conversation we've really seen them have so far. Mm. It's just like talking about like the more powerful white characters. It's true. Um, but I mean, that's really all I have. And then we see Dr. Aggie watching a video about uh, Bruce Maddox, which I feel like we touched on. But basically, they bake some cookies mm-hmm. and we get that they were an item. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there being like professor grad student relationships I know, make it's gross. me groan. And I'm like, if there is if there was any other version of this, then like, please tell me. But that's that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I support making your own chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. But I mean, he's gross and we know he's gross. And this Mm -hmm. fits with what we already know of his character is that he doesn't have a very strong ethical compass. True. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. I mean, I I guess my frustration with it more is that at the end of the episode, when she kills him, Mm -hmm. that is how like now she's evil and it's even more like she's even more evil because she because they were in a relationship because they were in a relationship it feels like undertones of sexism once again where she's being condemned because she took this very terrible action against somebody that she was supposed to care about right um whereas like i feel like if the genders were swapped it like we wouldn't have had to have that extra layer for some reason. Yeah. I don't know. I mean it makes it it makes it more of a surprise. Yeah. Although honestly it's pretty surprising given how given how sweet she is. Although I feel like people were people were predicting this on Star Trek shitposting that she was going to be a spy. You kind of sarcastically predicted that she was going to be a spy <laughs> a few episodes ago. You're mm-hmm. like she's so unassuming that maybe she's actually a really good spy and you were right yes i definitely threw that out there like just totally <laughs> offhand and I, I yeah you had to remind me that i even said it um it's confirmed that she had been turned in that conversation with commodore O. yes um which answers the question of like why was O uh giving away all of this all of this information absolutely um she's not so being tailed she's just she's her own agent yeah yeah 
Yeah, I hear I hear everything you're saying. I it's bad that he's dead because he was valuable to Picard, but also I fucking hate this guy and I was like kind of <laughs> glad that someone killed him. Like fucking finally it was it's been his time has been coming. Yeah, I know. I agree. I'm not sad that he's dead. So, okay, I'm going to push us ahead. Everybody yeah. gets targeted ads. Oh my god. <laughs> that are like these funny cartoons that yes. that pop up on the ship. Like everybody's know. vices basically. Yeah. So, uh Picard gets in invitation to like go to high tea um i love it (laughs) we're we're drinking our earl gray right now yeah dr gerardi gets invited to like apply for a job right to apply for a job with like battle robots which is (laughs) somehow for some reason also punching her like this seems like a weird way to recruit somebody Rafi, we're reminded that she has an addiction problem because she gets invited to try out some snake leaf. Yeah. And, oh, Rios gets invited to, like, some shop that will help repair his ship. And then Elnor's like, but I didn't get one. Yeah. He's so cute. (laughs) Yeah, I I really like him. I hope they use him more. But it's clear that everybody's everybody's got a profile on the net except for... Elnor. And it's like, okay, welcome to capitalism. Welcome to uh, Space Vegas. Yes. Welcome to this dystopian world where you have to pay money for things. Um, Rafi sets up that uh, we're looking for Vajazzle, that she's the one that has Bruce. Right. And then we learn that Seven already, which we already kind of knew from earlier, but we learn that Seven already knows who she is mm-hmm. and is like, okay, we give her something that she wants, which is me. I'm worth a lot because of my Borg parts. And then we enter the costuming sequence. Yeah. <laughs> which I love so much that like, okay, so Picard is French. Oh my he is God. a Frenchman with a British accent, but then his disguise is to be a Frenchman with a French accent yes. and a French beret it's, and an eye patch. It's it's so over the top. I love it. I don't know if we've already linked to that um, talk show where he does. He's like... We can link to it again. Yeah, we should link to it again. There's this great like talk show clip. Where Sir Patrick Stewart is like explaining why Jean Luc doesn't have a French accent, and it is fucking hilarious. Yes. And that's the accent that he uses in the, yes. in these scenes. And I love his little beret Space. and his ascot and his tuxedo and the whole thing. I'm just like the final frontier. <laughs> this starship enterprise. Enterprise. <laughs> enterprise. <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, Yes. And it kind of cuts back and forth between, you know, the setup for the heist and the actual heist, like classic heist trope. Exactly. uh, These two scenes for a while. Um, So they introduce this, like, concept of a... uh, Facer? Facer. Like interface. Interface, yes, which is a go-between to broker this deal. Rios is the facer, and he goes and meets Mr. Vup. And uh, he's like swagger into the bar. He's like, give me two umbrellas because I'm that extra. And uh, he's, he's really, really goofy. He breaks out yet another accent. Oh, yeah. I'm loving uh, Santiago Cabrera in this oh, yeah. role. He's just like having so much fun. It makes me want to look up his other work. Yeah. Um, I know he's done other things. I'm not familiar with it, but I want to go seek him out now. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I'm I'm into it. Um, oh, and everybody else is getting ready because they're going to be back up. Uh, Elnor is like, oh, I get it. Everybody's pretending to be somebody that they're not. 
Um, is this dude like 16? I think he's... <laughs> I've yes, to say, I basically. know that he was like raised by honest nuns, <laughs> so like he he has like a high level of uh, innocence or something. Yeah, but I'm starting to wonder if he's even younger than I thought he was. I think he's he's naive. He's never been off Vashti. He's barely gotten out of the convent. Um, he's only ever been exposed to like absolute candor, and so the notion of like people pretending to be somebody that they're not is like what yeah and then they all tell him to just like Shh, be quiet <laughs> <I know. laughs> it has, it has sevens like be a version of yourself that doesn't speak yes it's i great. love it so the only other thing that frustrated me about this and it, it kind of goes it's like the other thing that agnes gets to do in this is just be nervous about being the person responsible for doing the transporter what yeah well um, yes, but my my new read on this was that she was nervous because she knew she had to kill Bruce. Oh, right. It, it works in both ways because you're just like, she's like a nerd who has no field experience and she's pr- presented herself in such like a wide-eyed, innocent, kind of incompetent, feminine way mm. for so long that you buy it. But then I'm just like, oh, no, that's not actually what she was nervous about. Right? She's, like, nervous that she has to kill her ex-boyfriend. Okay. That works so much better for me because I was sitting there being, like, it's it's annoying to me when characters who are, like, like her, this character specifically, who's a very, like, advanced academic, very intelligent. Yeah, she's, like, a, she's like a genius. Yeah. She's, like, the galaxy's leading roboticist in, exactly. like since Bruce disappeared. Right, exactly. And and yet she's like written this way to like to be incompetent at this like pretty standard straightforward task. But I really like your read that actually it's just a a different thing entirely that's being expressed through this different like yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. I like, like that a lot. The nature better. of her psychological emergency is like <laughs> is that she's about to kill her ex. I mean, I'm giving I'm a fan of Michael Chabon. Like I've read his novels. I'm mm-hmm. a, a fan of his work. So, I'm giving him a lot of credit here. So mm-hmm. that could be but I think that he's actually playing with this trope of like the competent incompetent woman because mm. um, we buy it like right we we do not suspect her at all we don't think anything is up that she, like we don't read into her nervousness as like a, a clue that something worse is gonna happen yeah that's true that's true yeah no i mean even in my second viewing of this i just remember watching her, the scene with her like watching herself and maddox make chocolate chip cookies of being like just kind of sentimental. Yeah. But it's but you're right, it's not she's mourning or grieving. Cool. Um I like more complicated stuff going on than yeah. what it kind of I'm can glad be you I mean I'm glad you brought it up though because it's like that definitely is something at play and it's like part of why we buy her as being so innocent. Yeah. Like, I feel like we might have been more suspicious of her if she'd been a dude. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think you're right. So this, there's one other thing about just this whole sequence, which, so Picard uh, delivers Seven. Yeah. And in order to, like, sell their whole backstory, he 
berates her about being ex-Borg and how she can never have returned to her humanity. She's disgusting. She's defiled. And it's really powerful. And um, you're just reminded once again that they share this commonality of having yeah. been ex-Borg. And so you can see how he's he's channeling the worst inner voices yep. from himself uh-huh. at her to sell this. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I just like it breaks my heart. And I like that the I like that the show is dealing with this. I mean, I think that they didn't want that to be the primary theme of like what Picard's journey is, mm-hmm. but they don't pretend like it didn't happen. Yeah, and something you were saying earlier before we started recording about like the differences and similarities between um like androids yeah. versus Borg and ex-Borg and how they're like they're similar but they're not the same but they still they all kind of fall into this like non-human but human presenting mm-hmm. package pa- sure package whatever word goes there <laughs> and so I have been like a little bit frustrated with the show being like okay are we telling a story about androids or are we telling a story about the Borg Right. And actually, it doesn't have to be a different, like, we're telling them side by side in order to compare and contrast and see how they both, like, interact with humans or other humanoids, Romulans also in this case. Yeah. Yeah. And how other species are treating them. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. It's... It's really interesting. I mean, I think that's something that we want to talk about more next week when Soji comes back. Yeah, bring back Soji. Yeah. For now, we can excitedly talk about how Seven of Nine is queer. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, you were just talking about how, like, Picard is presenting her. Uh-huh. And um, they're doing this back and forth. And then Seven just, like, breaks out of the handcuffs, like, uh, attacks Bejazel. Bejazel. Jay. <laughs> Jay, she calls her, yeah. And um, you very quickly get the impression that n- they have a history and then that, that history is not only uh, the history that we already know, that she killed her son, mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. but that they have a sexual and romantic history. Yeah. It really does, like... I don't, they don't ever explicitly say like, oh, back when we were dating, but like the way, the language that they use and the way that they're interacting with each other, like physically, it is very much like conveyed that they were in a romantic relationship. You were so easy. Was I, Jay? Then how did I get away? How did I escape the great Bejazel? The fortune in Borg Tech and you lost it. You lost me. No one's ever been worth more to you than me. And I slipped right through your fingers. I'm the one that got away. Yeah. And then I think you confirmed. Like everything, everything Seven says has a double entendre, right. right? She's like, I was worth more to you than anyone else. And it's like, okay, literally, she was worth a lot. And... Emotionally. Emotionally. Right. And then she says, I'm the one that got away. Literally and emotionally. Yes. And then Picard accuses her of like settling a score and she's like, you don't know what's going on here, which is again, like there's more. Right. 
she is like canonically bisexual now. Yeah. Um, maybe pansexual. She's definitely queer. We saw her with male crushes and love interests in Voyager, and now she has a former female love interest. Yeah. So I was very excited, despite the fact that we have like yet another evil queer on screen. Yeah. Um, but it's balanced by seven being uh, good or good. or chaotic right. queer on screen. <laughs> More bisexual and bi-romantic women on television. Yeah. Uh, we want to feel represented. Yes, 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 yes. Make it happen. No. Also, a lot of things happened. Like, uh, you know, Seven isn't in Starfleet. It's like kind of left as an open question of whether or not she actually ever was. And then she joined the Fenris Rangers, like, I think ostensibly to protect ex-Borg in that area. Mm-hmm. Um and like other people who are being exploited or downtrodden. Um, so she definitely got the like kind of those Starfleet values yeah. that were really communicated to her by Janeway yes. and everybody else in the Voyager crew. But she was, she chose or maybe felt obligated to do that in a different place. I think it's a good end to her story. Like when um, when we talked about her in our Borg, in our Killer Queen episode, we talked about how she was just sort of shuffled between like one collective and another. Right. It seems like they each these rangers each act individually. Yeah, we she's really very s- on her own. Yeah, we've really seen her come into a, a life as an individual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Which absolutely. It's a fun end to her story. I like it. I mean, I hope it's not the end. Sure. <laughs> um, but it's a fun place to find her now, for yes, sure. That's that's fair. Um, and then oh, ev- also, wait, one other thing is Bajazel calls her Annika. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is another, like, they were 100% um, boning. Boning. Bumping <laughs> I was like, what am I going to say? Can you say boning when it's two ladies? <laughs> Scissor sisters. <laughs> Scissor sisters. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like the only other person we've seen call her Annika was her dream boyfriend. Uh, From Unimatrix Zero. Unimatrix Zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So it's like, it's it's her it's her name that only her lovers have. Yeah, there's a certain power and a certain intimacy to f- for people to use Annika to refer to Seven. So can we take a little break? Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a break and we will be back. Great. Hi, IT crowd. Hi, Intertrekkies. This is Ryan. I just wanted to make a quick pitch for our PodFan. PodFan is a way that you can buy us a coffee. You can donate $3 a month more if you're super generous. And that money goes to helping us maintain ourselves as an independent podcast without a podcast network. Um, We've been reinvesting it back into the podcast, getting new gear like pop filters and new microphones so that we sound better. We hope to be able to advertise ourselves and generally continue to have the time to keep doing this. Um, It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to bring you this content. So if you're enjoying it, think about contributing at our pod fan that's pod.fan slash intertractional pod.fan slash intertractional you can also donate to us at our paypal which is paypal.me slash federation and fempire which is a great way to give us money one time any little bit helps and yeah we appreciate it we'll send you a sticker thanks 
Welcome back, everyone. Yeah, welcome back. So Rafi, Rafi, Rafiella has gone to visit her son, Gabe, which is the actual reason she wanted to go to Free Cloud. It was not to be a drug dealer. And he really hates her for being like a Mars truther and (laughs) for caring more about her career than mothering him or something. Yeah, well, I think it's also wrapped up in her addiction. Sure. Um, Like, I I think they're inseparable because the fact that she knows that the attack on Mars was not as straightforward as everybody thinks. And then that because nobody believed her about that, then this like, opportunity opens up for an addiction to kind of step in and replace being believed like yeah. there's yeah she's self she's self-soothing she's mm-hmm. like essentially like a cassandra character yeah and he's uh gabe her son is like just cannot forgive her or isn't he's just so angry that she yeah. abandoned him or from his, from his perspective at least and he, the thing like the thing that makes him like really like you haven't changed even though she's like i'm changed i'm clean um which i don't know she's been sober for like two episodes for (laughs) sure (laughs) yes uh i don't know we assume she yeah it's hard to say i mean i i personally don't have a lot of um experience with people who are like recovering but she um but she can't just tell him that she doesn't believe that there was a conspiracy that led to the synth attack um, because she knows that it was, she knows. Yeah, because it's true. She's actually right. Mm -hmm. We definitely get that impression later in the episode from all the things that Bruce Maddox says. Um, (sighs) What do you do when you're being gaslit by basically everybody in the world that what the, like the narrative that, a layperson understands about a thing is totally different from what you know about it because you have more information and like it it sucks a lot that her own family couldn't believe that Mm -hmm. she would know about this even though like they must have known what her work was maybe i hope i know yeah, I mean, it's very much, it made me think a lot about the the different expectations that people have um, for mothers yeah. than, they, than they do for fathers. You yes. know, the fact that, like, working women are always asked, like, how they do it all or, like, where their child is. Same with politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't sound like she was doing anything other than trying to prove her point so that she could get her job back. Mm-hmm. Like, this was her work. And he doesn't actually say that, like, she left them, just that she, from his perspective, was more interested in her work than in mothering him. And it feels very sexist to me. I mean, you can't, people have obviously the right to have their own opinions about their parents, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure it's hard having a parent who has an addiction, but the specific things that he says to her seem to have more to do with where her focus lied than with her addiction. Yeah. I agree. And it, yeah, and it does feel like the problem that he had was that she was not providing the level of mothering that he felt entitled to, mm-hmm. which, you know, he's a, he was a child at that time. And so I totally get that the pain of feeling abandoned by your parent is real. And yeah. so I can understand the anger that he's carrying around. 
Um, but at the same time, yeah, like he's not trying to create any kind of space where they can reconcile. It's very, it's very sad for her. Yeah. Later on, we see her back on the ship with the door locked. I mean, I have the hope that she's going to help Picard, but yeah. also obviously the fear that she's going to like slip further into addiction with like this very challenging emotional situation, which would make like not a person with a drug addiction want to have a drink. Yeah, totally. I think what we've seen of her up to this point is that she's not about to be talking about these struggles that she's going through with anybody. Mm -hmm. And like really the way that you recover from this kind of thing is to share it with other people and get like, I mean, she needs to be in therapy probably. Maybe the EMH will pick up on her psychological emergency. (laughs) I hope so. Uh, Yeah, but okay. So the one other thing that we learn in this scene is that Gabe has a wife and the wife is pregnant and she's Romulan. Yep. She's super old school Romulan too. She's got the haircut. She's got the haircut. She's got the forehead ridges. Yeah. Um, I can't decide if it was meant to be like insult added to injury kind of uh, thing for Rafi yeah. because Rafi believed that the Romulans had something to do with this uh, attack on Mars that totally derailed her career. Sure. But then, I mean, but she was also working like on the refugee crisis and wanted to help the Romulans. Right. So it's very complicated. Yeah. God, Michelle Heard in this scene is heartbreaking. She is so beautiful and like just tr- like trying to smile through her pain, trying not to cry. I just love the like actress in this portrayal is so, is so great. Yeah. So then she ends up going back to La, La Serena and we leave Gabe, you know, with his soon-to-be baby. Yeah. So with our main crew, uh, Seven decides to give up her vengeance and return with everybody mm-hmm. to the ship. Aggie has an emotional reunion. She has an emotional reunion with Bruce. Bruce tells Picard uh, basically everything we already know, like where Soji is, that she's on the artifact. I mean, we learned that he sent her there. He yes. sent her to the artifact and he sent Dodge to Earth uh, to try to pick apart the conspiracy that's going on. Right. So there's not really, from what we know at this moment, an evil mission mm-hmm. behind their programming, right? The person pulling the strings was him. He just wants to know what happened. Mm-hmm. That seems fine enough to me. Yeah. And I guess my question is, like, how are they supposed to do that if they're unaware? Sure. Uh, But it must be, like, in the same sense that they have a mom AI, they have, like, a drive to want to understand certain things that are going on. And in these cases, they're positioned as academics, like, studying this stuff. So they're going to uncover it, like, because of their research yeah. Rather than anything else, but but it's harder to pick apart a mystery when you don't know yeah. why you're picking apart a mystery. It also makes me a little sad for them because they both seem like such cool, intelligent women mm-hmm. and uh, who probably want to understand things for their own understanding. And to think that uh, there's like a secret mission behind their life choices will probably be disappointing to them. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's a or you I know, guess it's a the question of agency, wants. right? Like right. they don't necessarily know why they're doing what they're doing, and so they can't be 
making their choices independent and freely. So we're left with like a lot of questions at the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we see, we talked a little bit about how Aggie kills Bruce already, but um, the EMH, the emergency medical hologram shows up right at that moment and witnesses most of it. Mm -hmm. So is he going to go tell Rios? We shall Um, see. What's going to happen when they go for the Borg cube? Um, the artifact. We know that Rios has agreed to go. I want to see more of him. We see him becoming fond of Picard here, and we know he's got issues with authority and with captains who have died, Mm -hmm. so I want to know more about this uh, relationship. Um, And it also kind of like led me to my other thought, because it's one of the few scenes we have in this episode where two men are speaking to each other. Mm. And, And over the last few episodes, we've looked at like does the episode pass the Bechdel test right and something I've noticed is that each episode also barely passes the reverse Bechdel test (laughs) of having two men talk to each other who have names um not about a woman Mm. and so just the series is being written in a way where I mean there are no gender neutral characters which is its own thing Mm. um Mm -hmm. but where most conversations are happening between men and women and not between women with each other or men with each other. Mm-hmm. The women with each other moment in this episode is when uh, Seven talks to her ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. when she returns without everyone present and then uh, berates her for betraying her before blowing her up. Right. Yeah. And literally exploding her in a shower of guts. Ugh. Yeah. So <laughs> so I don't know what I think of this. It's, it's an interesting solution to the Bechdel de- test problem just to have all conversations be taking place between a man and a woman. Yeah. It's weird. I like it. I'm like, yes, we should have more <laughs> like opposite sex interactions. I'm supportive of the show for doing that, like pretty, pretty good maintaining of like gender balance and giving the male and female characters like pretty equal action and um agency in the in the series so yeah so the only other thought that i had is that seven and picard have this kind of argument throughout the episode of whether whether lawless lawfulness and mercy like still exist in the galaxy oh and picard continues to believe that they do and seven has come down on the they don't it's so funny because he really wants to be lawful good, even as he's a f- like left the Federation and previously gestured at like not caring whether or not something is legal when mm-hmm. he's making a moral action. But it's really hard for him to let this go. Yeah, totally. We'll see. We'll follow it. Um, we leave um, Seven on Free Cloud. It's unclear where she's going to end up. Um, she's going to come back. All of the rest of our characters are back on La Serena. Uh-huh. They're headed to the artifact. And uh, maybe they will figure out that Agnes killed Maddox, or maybe they won't. Bum, bum, bum. Do you want to do some shout outs now? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, I wanted to shout out the two listeners who have reviewed us on Apple Podcasts from Canada. Uh, We weren't able to see your reviews for a while because we are not in Canada, but Chartable uh, helped us find them. So we wanted to thank Laurel, who reviewed us back in December, and Margaret Loaxana. We like your name. Um, We appreciate your reviews. We like what you had to say. Sorry we didn't shout you out earlier. We didn't know about you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you for your beautiful reviews and like keep them coming. Y'all, we love it. 
stay tuned and come back <laughs> next week when we talk about is soji a fembot yes so excited <laughs> live long and prosper peace and long life Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalese and Becca Motola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kavka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. If you like this podcast, you can help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps. You can donate to us at paypal.me slash federation and fempire, or you can become a member of our member feed on podfan, that is pod.fan slash intertractional. Yeah. That was great. Oh, good.